Well, normally we stay standing during the reading of God's Word, but this passage is particularly long and very heavy. So uh, please, with our blessing, sit as we read 1 Samuel 15. Follow along with me here. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telium, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all of the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they, de- they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry. He cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, set up a monument for himself turned and passed on, and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep I hear in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission, 
and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin. Return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. As Samuel turned away, Saul seized the skirt of his his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people, And before Israel, return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. But then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully and said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
Lord God, I confess that this passage has stumped me since I can first remember. Lord, there is much here. It is quite heavy. And Lord, I pray for Michael as he works us through this passage that we would see what is at play here, that we will see what is going on with Saul's rebellion and Samuel's grieved heart and your reaction to it. Lord, help us to love all of your word, all of your scriptures. Help us to hide it in our hearts, but help us to remember that you are wholly other than us, that we are the created and you are the creator. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son, amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. I am Pastor Michael Anderson, one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it is an honor to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. As Dan said, this is a difficult passage. It is heavy. My prayer for us this morning is that we will feel the weight of sin, but we will also, through that, see the goodness of the cross of Christ. So that's my prayer as we work through this passage. You're going to want to have your bulletin or your Bible in hand as we look through the text. As we get started, I want to ask you this question, and it comes in different contexts, but the question is, how close is close enough? Depends on the context. Uh, There are some times when close enough is just fine. Like if you ask your wife to go out and get some Oreos and she comes home uh, from Meyer with twist and dips, they're basically the same. Like you will live. Um, the same thing if you want Triscuits because for some reason you want to eat sawdust, but she comes back from Aldi with the Savorites woven whole wheat crackers. It's close enough. If you don't like peanuts but are not allergic to them, you can probably eat something that was processed in a facility that also processes peanuts. But if you're allergic to peanuts, 99% peanut-free isn't close enough. You need to have your EpiPen ready. Uh, In school, sometimes they said C's get degrees, but... If I'm going to go on an airplane, I don't want the people building it to only get it 70% right. I want it to be 100% right to feel safe. This morning, we're talking about the Word of the Lord, what it means to listen to God's Word, to obey it, and how God requires nothing less than full obedience to his word. Close enough isn't good enough. That's what we're going to see in our passage. And as we do, we see from the beginning that God's word is clear. God speaks. There are a lot of times in life where we wish God would speak, and he has. He's given us his word, and he's given Saul his word. It is clear. It's not easy. What he calls him to do is very difficult. But God has spoken clearly, and it's our job 
to respond. As we read through and go through this passage, just one thing to note, often in Scripture, the command to listen doesn't mean just to hear something, but it means to put it into practice. It means to obey. Kids, if your parents tell you to clean your room, and they come back two hours later, and your room isn't clean, and they say, hey, I thought I told you to clean your room, and, they, and you say, yeah, I heard you, but if you don't do it, then, it's, you, then listening doesn't really matter. That's what we see with listening to God's Word in our passage today. God's command is clear, but it's not easy. Look at verse 3. This is the difficult command that Saul has given. It says, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. What do we do with that? Is God commanding ethnic cleansing? How can this be the God of love that we find in the person of Jesus? This is a big question, and we can't, give, we can't address it fully right now. So if you're interested in learning more about how to reconcile some of these really difficult Old Testament passages, um, send me an email. Let's talk more. I can give you resources that deal with it more fully, but I wanted to note a few things that help. First, this wasn't a quick decision. The Amalekites had been ruthless enemies wickedly tormenting God's people for hundreds of years. They would not stop. God needed to do something to bring them to justice and to protect His people. Second, we see that this wasn't an ethnic cleansing. It wasn't racially motivated attack against any and all outsiders. Look at how the Amalekites are contrasted with another group, the Kenites, in verse 6, who are spared because they showed kindness to God's people. This was judgment focused on a group who perpetuated violence. Third, we don't want to take passages like this as a precedent for jihad or holy war. This is not the job of the church today. This was God using His people through Saul as an instrument of His judgment on sin. It wasn't their personal revenge or vendetta. It was God punishing sin. Which reminds us that this is actually what we all deserve for our sin. While it may shock us that God's judgment comes so forcefully, it should actually surprise us that God often delays His judgment on our sin. That's what the Apostle Paul argues in Romans 3, 25, when he says that God is not unjust for bearing with our sins for a long time, because one day all sin will be dealt with and all sinners will be judged They will either stand before a holy God and answer for their rebellion, or they will point to Jesus as the one who died in their place on the cross so that justice could be satisfied. 
Our God is a God of justice, but in Christ, He justifies the ungodly. This is good news. And this justice is good news for those of us who have experienced suffering. God will make all things right. So, we all want to hear from God. He's spoken to us in His Word. Just more generally, do you listen? Do you listen to God's Word? Are you a student of God's Word because you want to know more deeply the God you love? We move along in our passage to see the compromise. The compromise. Look at verse 7. It says this, Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Okay, so far so good. But then what happens? Look at verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul comes close to listening. He almost obeys but he spares the king, the one who is most responsible for the evils that God is seeking to judge. Saul stops short of full obedience. Then look at verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. Saul and the people practice a half-obedience that stops short of listening to the words of the Lord. It has been said that if we only obey the commands of God that we already agree with, then we're not really following God. We're just putting ourselves in His place. Half-obedience is no obedience at all. And it's even worse for Saul as a leader because now other people are following him in this sinful path. Jesus makes the same point in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 when he says, whoever relaxes one of the least of God's commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. God wants our full obedience. Pastor Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, Saul was never an out-and-out rebel against God. He always did most of what God commanded. Only on a few seemingly minor occasions did he substitute his own will for God's will. And even then, he had a plausible, even pious reason. Most disobedience is like that. Not absolute defiance, but a nibbling away at the edges of God's authority. How close is close enough? God demands full obedience. What are the subtle ways that you make compromises when it comes to God's Word? Where do you find yourself nibbling away at the edges of God's authority? God wants your full heart, and with your heart comes a desire to listen and obey the Word of the Lord. 
So God uses Samuel to confront Saul. Look at verse 10. Here again we have the word of the Lord, this time to Samuel. God says, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. We'll deal with the regret part later on, but do you notice how God characterizes Saul's actions? He says, he has not performed my commandments. Again, half obedience is no obedience at all. What's Samuel's reaction? Anger and sadness. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, he cried to the Lord all night. These are the emotions of a leader who loves God and cares about his people. He's angry at sin. He's grieved that the Word of God has been disregarded and disrespected. He's saddened that the people have been led astray. He knows what could have been, what should have been for Saul and for the people. These are the healthy emotions of a godly leader in the face of sin. Are you angered and grieved by sin? Not just getting found out and what it might cost you, but do you have a healthy anger over the destruction and devastation that sin causes to all parties involved when the word of the Lord is not listened to? Sin should break our hearts, primarily our own sin, but also the sins of those that we love and those we lead. Contrast what we see with Saul, uh, what we just saw with Samuel, to what we see with Saul. Before Samuel even confronts the king, we see in verse 12 that Saul has set up a monument to himself. What? Like, it's painfully ironic because it puts on display Saul's self-centeredness. The same king who didn't listen to the word of the Lord now is trying to make a name for himself instead of for God. And yet, even as Saul is utterly foolish, he's also utterly relatable. Where have you strived to make a name for yourself instead of glorifying God's name? Maybe it's when you seek the approval of others and are willing to cut corners and commit subtle compromises so that other people will like you. Wherever those places of self-centeredness are in your life, bring them in confession and repentance to the feet of a humble Savior who made Himself nothing so that we might become sons and daughters of a glorious King. Saul isn't just self-centered, he's also self-deceived. Look at verse 13. Before Samuel can even confront Saul, he says, I, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What? Like, maybe he's like a little kid who knows he's done something wrong and he's trying to get out ahead of it with a lie. But maybe Saul actually believes what he's saying. You see, sin has a self-deceptive power to it 
that slowly corrodes and chips away at our conscience and our ability to see our sin. That's why John Owen said that we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Sin creates blind spots. So we need God's Word in front of us. We need God's Spirit inside of us. We need godly leaders over us. And we need faithful Christian friends alongside of us to point out our blind spots and open our eyes to the truth. What are your blind spots? Maybe something comes to mind, but maybe not. That's kind of the point of blind spots is that we don't know what they are. So the better question is, who are the people in your life who know you well enough to speak into your blind spots, call you back to repentance and truth, the truth of God's love for you in the gospel? Do you have those people in your life? Seek them out. They are a treasure. Saul may be fooling himself, but he isn't fooling God's prophet Samuel. Look at verse 14. What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? We can't hide our sins from God. Saul begins self-justifying and and blame-shifting. Look at verse 15. They have brought from them the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. It's just like Adam in the Garden of Eden when God confronts him with his sin and he says, well, this woman that you gave me is the reason that I sinned. When are those times where you're quick to shift the blame to others? Maybe it's at school or at work. Maybe it's at home with your spouse or with your siblings. It all comes from a heart that's struggling to believe the gospel. Because if if we truly believe that Jesus died to cover all of our sins, if we truly believed that salvation was not by our works, but by faith in Christ's work for us. If we truly believed that there's nothing we could do to make God love us any more than He does right now, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less than He does right now, because He loves us perfectly in Christ. If we believed all that, then we'd be free to admit our faults and our failures and bring them to the foot of the cross. But Saul's not there. You can see why in the middle of verse 15. He says that the people kept all these animals to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Do you notice how, Paul, how Saul always says, your God? That's the issue. Saul is God's appointed leader whose heart is actually far from God. It's always your God, not my God. Jesus says that if we love Him, then we'll keep His commandments. Saul shows, through failing to listen to the words of the Lord, that he does not know or love God from the heart. And even after Samuel lays out to Saul again what God has said, he asks in verse 19, why then did you not obey the, verse, the voice of the Lord? Saul responds, 
was self-justification. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. And the animals that we kept, well, it was to make a sacrifice to the Lord your God. We always get into trouble when we try to take something that's generally true biblical principle and justify it, use it to justify doing something that God's Word clearly forbids. I know that God loves sacrifice, so I just kept some of the animals to make a sacrifice for Him. We see this all the time in our world today. Judge not. Love is love. But God doesn't need our cleverness. He demands our obedience to His Word. Samuel says this very clearly in verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the word, the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. We see the heart of legalism on display here. Saul was performing religious rituals in order to impress God. There are ways where we can do things that look good on the outside. They look like outward obedience, while really we're just trying to keep God at an arm's length. If, if I go to church, if I check the box on doing my devotions, if I give, then I'm good. I can avoid coming to God in repentance and feeling my need for a Savior. A Christian who loves Jesus and has God's Spirit working in her will become more and more of her, of her sin over time. Even as she's growing and sinning less. It will drive her to her knees in repentance and make her learn to love Jesus more and more even as the Holy Spirit is helping her kill sin and obey God. All God wants is simple obedience flowing from a heart of gratitude and love for Him. This leads to the consequence that we see in the second half of verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. This may sound harsh, but again, it's been a long time coming. Saul has repeatedly failed to trust to obey from the heart, and God shows here that He will rescue His people from bad leadership. But then, it looks like we might have a moment of hope. Saul's going to confess his sin. Look what he says in verse 24. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. On a surface level, this seems good. Saul admits that he sinned, and he even admits that fear of the people was a motivation for his sin. But Samuel doesn't buy it. 
He doubles down on the Lord's rejection of Saul as king. Saul responds with a desperate grab to hold on to power. Literally, he grabs the the skirt of Samuel's robe and it tears. And Samuel says in verse 28, this is a picture of how the Lord has torn the kingdom from you and will give it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. We know he's talking about David, a man after God's own heart. David is far from perfect, but he seeks the heart of God in actual repentance. How is David's repentance different from Saul's? Let's look ahead and then look back. Look at verse 30. Saul says, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. Did you catch it? Saul's repentance is self-serving. He's more concerned that he would still look good in front of the people than he is with the effects of sin on the people. It all becomes clear again when he says, my people, your God. Saul doesn't know and love God from the heart. He merely uses religious rituals to look good in front of others. Samuel was right to question Saul's first confession. It seemed good on the surface, but what was it missing? When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan after he committed murder and adultery, David's response was true repentance. He grieved that he had sinned against God and done what was evil in his sight. He had genuine sorrow over his sin, not just the consequences of it. This kind of repentance allows a man who's a murderer and an adulterer to become a man after God's own heart. Contrast that with Saul's confession back in verse 24. There's no sorrow. There's no godly grief. There's no concern for God's name. It's a bare statement of facts. It reads like so many of the public apologies that we see in our world today, even from church leaders. Maybe we state our sin but then we're concerned with what's next for us instead of being concerned with God's glory and the effects of sin on His people. God wants more, and the gospel frees us for more. Our passage concludes with Samuel finishing what Saul was commanded to do. He carries out God's judgment on King Agag, And then Saul and Samuel go their separate ways. Without connection to the prophet Samuel, Saul is effectively cut off from the voice of the Lord for the rest of his kingship. And again, we see Samuel's godly grief over Saul's slow slide into sin. We end again with this puzzling phrase, the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. We saw the same phrase back in verse 11, but then in verse 29, Samuel seems to say the exact opposite. Look at verse 29. He says, 
the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. What do we do with this apparent contradiction? Well, what Samuel says, that God doesn't lie or have regret, is true. It's a statement of God's sovereign control over all things. Nothing that has ever happened has surprised God. He's in complete control of all the events of human history and of our lives. And yet, it's also true to say that God regretted making Saul king over Israel. It's not that he didn't know that this would happen, but God is using language that we can understand, human language of care and concern. One author says that as Saul becomes less human, God is becoming more human, anticipating the incarnation. And that's where the hope in our passage today lies. The same God who is saddened by the effects of sin on His people would willingly subject Himself to those same effects of sin in the cross of Christ. Jesus, fully God, became human, fully man. Another paradox, a mystery of the Christian faith. And Jesus didn't settle for close enough. He practiced full obedience. When he was tempted in the wilderness, fasting, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's command for full obedience, this passage today, should feel heavy. It should feel impossible. And that's the point. That's why we need Jesus, the one who perfectly kept every word of God for us, and then was willingly devoted to destruction on the cross for us, but was raised to new life so that He could defeat death and will one day utterly destroy all sin along with all our enemies. So when you feel the weight of your sin, come to Jesus. He stands as the song we sang earlier says, with arms ready to receive you, all you need is to feel your need for Him. John Newton, the, the author of Amazing Grace, said at the end of his life, I know two things to be true, that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So I want you to ask yourself, especially if you've grown up in the church or been, a Christ, been in Christian contexts for a long time, but also if you're a non-Christian listening in, I think it's especially important for those of us who have been in the church. The Jesus that I just talked about, the one who became sin for us, 
so that we could have His righteousness, so that all of our sins could be forgiven. Is He just God or is He your God? Do you know Him? Do you love Him from the heart? He wants you to know and love Him. God requires nothing less than full obedience to His Word. And what God requires, He provides in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You that You are a holy God. You don't let evil go unpunished, and that is good news. And we thank You that You have provided us a way through Jesus to have all of our evil punished in Him so that we might be freed from our sin, freed to follow You, and freed to grow in our holiness by the help of Your Spirit. I pray that You would help us to know and love You from the heart because You are good and You are worth knowing and loving. We pray all this in Jesus' name, by your Spirit. Amen.